Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day, your one and only spot to talk all things NFL, NFL Draft, college football with two of the very best, Michael Rockman and Nick Durst. Nick, how are you doing this Friday? Do well, loving this, you know, getting warmer out. We're getting closer here to the summer, Memorial Day weekend next week, my birthday next week. So always love the end of May. Uh, it's 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 kind of a downtime for football, but things are going to pick up real soon here. Uh, and we're not talking NFC South, but today, but we can talk real quick about the Julio Jones rumors ramping up here and. The latest that I'm hearing today from Michael Lombardi, who used to work with the Patriots, is that Belichick and the Patriots are very interested in somehow getting Julio Jones to New England. What do you think the package would be to get Julio Jones? I think that, you know, first and foremost, we'd probably have to include one of the young running backs in that room to help the Falcons kind of alleviate that small hole there at the running back spot. Mike Davis is likely the starter, but I think the position overall just needs to be split a bit. So we could see, you know, maybe a Sony Michelle package in there, but it's mostly going to come down to what the pick price is because as many, you know, solid players that could maybe contribute could be added to this. I think the biggest thing for the Falcons right now is getting a contributing pick right away. So getting a second rounder, maybe a first, if they view the Patriots as a top contending team, it's really going to come down to who they think is going to get them the best value. So whether that's the Patriots, whether that's the Titans, maybe it's the Packers. If the Packers are offering a first and, you know, the Patriots are coming in with the second and Sony Michelle, I think they still go with the Packers. So really it's, it's tough to really decide what the Falcons are thinking with this. I think ultimately they're going to stick with Julio, keep him mm-hmm. on the roster and try to have this overpowered offense. But you know, if they are looking to realistically trade him, then it's going to come down to what the mindset is of Fontenot and what he's looking for in terms of the organizational direction. Absolutely. The other news, as predicted here, you know, Tebow signs with the Jaguars and the number one selling jersey in the NFL. Tim Tebow's number 85 with the Jaguars. People are saying, oh, he can't be a tight end. Like, you know how he catches. I'm envisioning him like in the Taysom Hill type of role, uh, doing a lot of rushing, uh, potentially throwing a pass here or there, doing some catching. I don't think it's going to be a traditional tight end role, but did you see the pictures of Tebow? He really bulked up big time, so he must be ready to do some blocking. Absolutely. I think that, you know, he's going to try everything he can to get this roster spot. I don't know if he's going to end up on that final roster. It's a minimum contract, no guaranteed money. Obviously, the risk is very much there for both parties, but ultimately I think Tebow is definitely going to give it all that he has. Like Tebow has always done in his entire career, no matter the sport, no matter what he's doing, you know, so Tebow is going to come out full effort, probably going to have some nice plays in the preseason. If he will stick around, it's hard to say, but I think really in terms of what you've talked about with the Taysom Hill role, I think that's a more realistic option. I don't think he's going to be this star tight end for the Jaguars. I don't think he's going to catch a lot of passes, but I do think that he's going to be moved around the entire offense in the backfield as a QB out of the tight end spot in the slot. You know, he'll be all around as a weapon. And really it just depends on if that weaponry gets used in the regular season or if it's just a preseason thing that eventually ends up no longer being a thing. Yeah, it's going to be certainly interesting to see. 
and hopefully it works out for him. Uh, I think it would be pretty cool. Um, minor news, Texans sign Jeff Driscoll. Obviously, the Texans have some quarterback questions there, so he'll stick around there for as long as, you know, whatever happens with the the unknown there with Deshaun Watson. Uh, Antonio Brown underwent knee surgery this week, uh, but he'll be ready to go, no problem. And then, uh, last but not least, as far as the injury front is concerned, uh, Mahomes, we know he had his off-season injury, surgery. He'll be ready to go for OTAs, which start on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, things are picking up here. Uh, and we will see, you know, what happens here. Uh, the big story right now for the next few weeks is definitely going to be Julio Jones. And, of course, the bigger story, we will continue to watch what happens with Aaron Rodgers. Absolutely. And another big move that happened this week was Morgan Moses being released by the Washington football team. I think that's a very solid right tackle that a lot of teams could be looking to add to their roster. Uh, First and foremost, you know, we're having an AFC North episode today talking about all the teams. I think about three of these teams could have tremendous growth from getting Morgan Moses on the roster. So we'll see where he lands, but this is definitely someone that I think is a big time free agent for someone this late in the season to really hit the market. Yep, time will tell. Uh, it'll happen quick, though, that's for sure. And pretty soon we'll be getting all the storylines about the battles, the QB storylines, which, you know, the main one's going to be Mac Jones and Cam Newton. Uh, and then we'll see about Lance and Garoppolo. But, you know, this is this is what comes out here. And you just, if you're a GM here or a coach, you got to hope you get uh, everybody through OTAs healthy. There's going to be a lot of cramping, dehydration, it's hot out. Uh, so that's that's the type of things we got to keep an eye on. Absolutely. You know, durability is probably one of the biggest killers for so many teams. We saw it last year with the San Francisco 49ers fresh off of their Super Bowl run, lost some key players and ended up missing playoffs entirely, put up a season that ended up having them at the number 12 spot. They were able to move up to that number three spot in drafting Trey Lance. A bad season can change the trajectory of your team entirely. You know, a lot of people would have been shocked if I told you right after that Super Bowl, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's got one more year as the QB of the San Francisco 49ers because really a lot of teams don't move on from their QBs like that. But I think, you know, when you have a chance to go up and get a player like that and they viewed Trey Lance in that light, then it was absolutely worth it for them. And now we'll see how it plays out. Yep, we will keep an eye on everything and – uh, I think for now it's it's time for us to continue with our, our segment here that we'll be doing for the next few shows and that is looking division by division and breaking it all down. Absolutely. And we're going to start out with the Baltimore Ravens, fresh <laughs> off of two first-round picks, fresh off of a great season just last year. Lamar Jackson obviously hoping to make huge strides in what is going to be another year. They got Owen Bateman in the first round. Two players that I think should start right away at needs that were definitely there. Rashad Bateman at that wide receiver spot with Marquise Brown and Sammy Watkins. That wide receiver room is definitely a huge step forward from what it was in years past. If Lamar is going to take a step as a passer, he needs the weapons to be able to do it. And I really like these weapons. While I don't think Bateman is going to be a world beater in year one, I do think that he can contribute in certain ways. And having Watkins and Brown already in that room with Mark Andrews as one of the better tight ends in the league, then you absolutely 
are opening up this offense, allowing for opportunity, creating chances for the Ravens to potentially make some big plays on offense in the passing game. The run game has been the bread and butter of the Ravens for so long. Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, now Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins. And I expect the run game to still be very huge for their success. But if you're looking at, you know, adding weapons to this room, trying to develop Lamar Jackson further as a passer, then they've absolutely done a great job. The big question mark, though, is now the offensive line. After losing Orlando Brown, Ronnie Stanley's going to be back. But the question now is that right tackle. Alejandro Villanueva isn't necessarily the greatest scheme fit, but still should be a solid uh, starting right tackle for them. And then the interior offensive line, adding guys like Ben Cleveland in the draft. And really, it's just going to come down to how the center position holds up. Because while the Ravens have certainly made some solid acquisitions, I think having Bradley Bozeman there at center is still a big question mark. Patrick Mercury could be the starter as well. I think it's going to be a camp competition. But the Bozeman and at left guard and, and the center position is definitely a big question mark. Right tackle, not necessarily sold on it. But Kevin Zeitler should be a great acquisition for them to help out the interior. Nick, in terms of the Ravens offense, you know, we kind of see them have their issues, especially once we get further in the season, deeper into playoffs. What do you expect – this year, do you think anything's going to change, or do you think the same issues will exist that kind of hold them back from being a legit contender? Well, last year, everyone thought they were dead in the water, and then Lamar Jackson was just incredible. They got 11 and 5, finished second in the division behind the Steelers. And I mean, th- their problem really is I mean, I think they're a playoff team, but they're very one dimensional. In the playoffs, one dimensional teams tend to not win the championship. Uh, you know, the Packers, people pretty much say they're one-dimensional. They have the best player in Aaron Rodgers, and they are they have trouble winning. Uh, you know, look who won last. The Buccaneers won last year. They were triple, quadruple dimensional. So uh, it, it comes down to having an offense that can do multiple things for you. Their defense, I'm not too crazy about, uh, but I think the offense, you know, they still rely too heavily on just Jackson running the ball. Uh, but, I mean, I guess when you have a running back, a quarterback who is faster than running backs, you need to enact that action game plan. Uh, definitely they're a good enough team that they can get to the playoffs. Uh, I don't feel like they're a team that could go far in the playoffs, though, just due to the, the fact of how their, their offense is schemed. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people started to question Greg Roman last year. Could you see if there's an early exit for the Ravens again, you know, maybe first-round exit or they maybe even miss playoffs? Do you think Roman becomes a hot-seat type of coach and maybe no longer with the Baltimore Ravens following this year if, if things don't really change? Most likely. I mean, there's always a fall guy, right? So they're not going to fire Harbaugh, and at this point – Something's got to give, right? They got to shake something up here. Uh, Roman, you know, maybe he's got a chance because he, with Lamar Jackson, he basically he made this guy the MVP. They go fourteen and two two years ago, uh, which was his first year as the offensive coordinator. And the offense is going to put up points, so it'd be kind of tricky. But ultimately, something's got to give. Somebody's going to go. Uh, you know, 
we know Newsom's gone. He kind of retired. So they'd have to put the blame somewhere. And typically, uh, unfortunately, in the NFL, it, it comes down to, all right, we'll get rid of the coordinator first. And the next step is going to be the head coach. But it's very tricky to get rid of your head coach when they won the Super Bowl. Absolutely. And, you know, we flip over to the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens, adding some great pieces this offseason, but losing some as well. Matthew Judon off to the New England Patriots. The cornerback room still very solid. Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, you know, they have Chuck Clark and uh, Everett as well, or Elliott at the uh, safety positions. They add Odafe Owe in the first round of this draft. And they add some, you know, other secondary pieces as well to this defense. In a year where, you know, the AFC North really is up for grabs entirely in my mind. I think the Steelers have dropped off a bit. The the Browns are obviously making great strides. The Ravens always going to be competitive. And the Bengals are now trying to really take that next step. How important is it for this defense to really continue their success in order for the Ravens to potentially, you know, win the AFC North and also hopefully make a run in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, just looking at their opponents uh, in the division, you know, Burrow and Chase could probably, and the rest of the Bengals' offense is pretty decent. They could put up some points. Big Ben, he's always got to put up points. I mean, they got they got Claypool still. They brought back Juju for the one-year deal. You would think he's going to be motivated. Obviously, they draft Harris, so the offense is pretty solid there. And the Browns' offense is a juggernaut. Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be back. Jarvis Landry is still there. Uh, they get the two-headed attack at, at the running back position. So a lot of weapons there. And if you look at the history of the AFC North and the team that typically wins or a team that has gone on to win the Super Bowl, it's always been led by defense. The 2000 Ravens, the Joe Flacco Ravens, you got Big Ben's two Steelers championship runs. It's always been defense first. And that is what it's going to come down to in this division always. And I just don't know if the Ravens have what it takes uh, in the playoffs to stop all these high-powered offenses such as the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, McPhee back at edge for the Ravens. And it's going to be interesting, the linebacker position very young LJ Fort, Patrick Queen, Malik Harrison. And, you know, really the secondary is always going to be great. The big issue is how are they going to generate pressure? The D line's good, but the edge position is either, you know, inexperienced or old. And Martindale has said, you know, he's going to be able to generate pressure no matter what. I think it'd be foolish not to believe him, but still there are definitely question marks about what the Ravens are going to be able to do this season. Personally, for me, I look at their schedule, and when I evaluate the games that they had, I think that they're going to end up in that 11-6 and six type range. Obviously, you could give or take a few games. I still think they're a playoff team. I think the big question mark, though, for what holds them back in my mind is I haven't seen that passing game take off. And I don't necessarily hold it against Lamar Jackson, but I do think the offense needs to become a little bit more than just, you know, short game passing. And All right. running game. Yeah, I mean, if looking at their schedule to start, they start off on Sunday Night Football. That's never an easy spot to start. Typically, the Giants and Cowboys start there. But it's a road game. They go to Las Vegas, and the Las Vegas fans are going to be pumped, Michael. This is the first time they're going to see their, their Raiders play. So that's going to be a tough game. It's going to be very loud in there. 
the next week they have to play uh, a primetime game, Monday Night Football, taking on the Chiefs. So you can quickly look at yourself and be 0-2 there. Uh, that's not where you're going to be. Then they have uh, an easier stretch. They got the Lions followed by the Broncos. Uh that's a that's uh you know not the easiest first month there if you're looking at just based on last season. Absolutely. I'd say the only game that you would confidently like be able to assume they're gonna win is that Lions game. Yep. That Broncos game, honestly, don't sleep on what the Broncos could be able to do because that defense is going to be top tier in right. the NFL. If they can slow down the, the Ravens offense, really stop the run, make Lamar really kind of cut off in terms of what he's able to do mobility wise, then we could see some issues to where it's a low scoring affair and the, and the Broncos are able to seal a win there. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen. The Ravens are obviously going to have their ability on defense as well. And, you know, one or two turnovers could change the momentum of that game very easily, but don't sleep on what the Broncos are going to be this season. And I think they're going to be much more competitive than people are giving credit for. Uh, yeah, we'll definitely team. we'll definitely talk about the Broncos next week, and you know we're gonna we'll be talking, I'm sure, about Bridgewater versus Locke and who's gonna be starting there. Absolutely, that Raiders game I think is going to be a good one. A lot of people are very interested in seeing what's going to happen now with Gruden having some time to really build up this roster. Is he finally going to make that jump? That Chiefs game, you know, assuming that the Chiefs are at full strength and just fully everything kind of smooth and ready i think they're going to have a fairly easy victory and that's not necessarily sleeping on the ravens it's just the chiefs early on usually start out very hot and i expect it to be very similar in this situation but moving on from that month it doesn't get much easier as they go against the colts the chargers the Bengals, and vikings three of those teams outside of the division but all three aren't teams that you could really discredit for potential playoff teams. The Ravens schedule is not going to be easy in the first half. And if you don't have any momentum heading into the halfway point, things could easily go South. Yeah. Do you think that, sorry. uh, Do you think that the Ravens potentially could start out so poorly that maybe they miss out on playoffs entirely? I mean, if they start off one and three, things could uh, potentially be in doubt. You know, the Colts game is not going to be easy. Chargers are going to be good. But their last seven weeks of the season are not great. Uh, you know, a lot of divisional games. So, you know, those are 50-50. But you got the Browns, got the Steelers, got the Browns again. Then you got the Packers. You got the Bengals. You probably beat the Bengals easily. And you'll close it out with the Rams and Steelers again. So uh, they really packed those divisional games in there. And, Due to the fact that this team finished in second place last year, they're playing a lot of teams who finished in first and second place. Uh, that's the competitive balance of the NFL. So they need to most likely go at least, you know, uh, two and two here to start things off. And then really got to take advantage uh, of the middle of the season there uh, when they're playing the Bengals, uh, Dolphins, Vikings, and Bears and, and try to, you know, stay afloat. But uh, you know, in general here, I really wonder how this season's going to work out. But the 17 weeks, if you get off to a really slow start and then you guys are like, oh, my gosh, we got 15 more weeks of this, yeah, 16 more weeks. I'm interested to see how mentally uh, the players get through the season. Absolutely. And for the entire AFC North, 
they are probably one of the tougher divisions. I'd say the top three tough divisions are AFC North, AFC West, and NFC West. And if you are a team in the AFC North this year, you're playing both those divisions. So not the easiest of schedules. We could see some potential slippage and, you know, a team that's really hoping to not have any slippage and take that next step as a roster is the Cincinnati Bengals. Year two of Joe Burrow, hopefully healthy and ready to go. Bringing in Jamar Chase in that first round, adding some other additional talent as well, adding to the offensive line for Riley Reef, Jackson Carmen. For the Bengals, you know, Zach Taylor on the hot seat already. A lot of people are saying if they don't make big strides, then he could be out of Cincinnati. Do you like the overall approach that they had in this offseason? Well, <laughs> the problem here is, is that uh, I think they're going to be seeing uh, some more, you know, of Brandon Allen. <laughs> That's not a great thing. And I know I don't mean that uh, disrespectfully to the to Brandon Allen, but you got to play Joe Burrow. Uh, and I'm worried about Joe Burrow because I don't think the Bengals addressed the offensive line at all whatsoever this offseason. Uh, they really they didn't do anything as far as I could tell. And uh, sure, is Chase going to be great? Absolutely. But if you can't keep Burrow upright and you got you know Kyle Shermer there and, and Brandon Allen, uh, I just don't see – that being a recipe for success for this franchise, not only this year, but just moving forward. Yeah, I think we talked about Morgan Moses a little earlier, and I'd love to see him brought in by the Bengals, really move Riley Reef back into guard. Like it was kind of talked about whenever there was chances that they were going to pick Sewell in the draft. And really, I think if you get a line of Jonah Williams, Morgan Moses, Riley Reef, uh, Quentin Spain, and Trey Hopkins at center, I think that line is going to be very solid. I know they drafted Carmen in the second. I think you can kind of have him redshirt or even compete to take Spain's job. But ultimately, I think there's still a little bit more that's needed to be done on this offensive line. I think it's going to be better, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. And there's still going to be some issues in terms of, you know, just protecting your QB and hopefully with another year, you know, some developed play from Carmen, we see some protection happen very easily. I really like Dante Smith out of Eastern Carolina, but I'm not sure about his readiness year one. So ultimately, the Bengals have pieces, right? So the wide receiver room is absolutely talented. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, probably one of the better units in the league. And then Joe Mixon in the backfield can contribute as a receiver as well. That defense, though, is where I really start to question things mm-hmm. because I don't really trust the defense. I think the overall secondary kind of lacks that top guy. Jadobia Woozy, I thought, was someone that would be a versatile chess piece type player that could be added to, you know, a great defense. And I don't really trust the defense of the Bengals to really use him like that. Mike Hilton's a great ad, but he's a slot guy. Trey Waynes isn't going to be able to shut down any top receiver. So, really, there's just overall the defense still has issues. Jesse Bates is one of the best safeties in the league. I like Von Bell. The linebackers are young, but they're improving. But I, I don't know. I don't think the defensive line is enough to help that secondary, like right. the cornerback room. And all I you got to know about all you got to know about the cornerbacks, Michael. All you got to know about the cornerbacks is that Eli Apple is like slated to be their cornerback number one right now. This guy, for some reason, every team thinks he has so much talent. They bring him in. 
he's either getting you know pass interferences in every play or he just doesn't turn around he's getting torched he's probably the biggest uh ohio state secondary player bust of all time in the nfl uh just because of all the hype that was around him and just how poorly he's played and the fact that what is his fifth year in the league and he's like his fourth team his fifth team it's crazy yeah and you know the big thing that a lot of people are going to be bringing up is maybe that the afc north doesn't have as much passing firepower so it's not going to kill them as much as maybe if they were in an afc west or an nfc west right but still there's just so much that is in question for the Bengals. the linebacker unit while young and improving is still not great the cornerback room question marks the defensive end spot still question marks the defensive tackles are pretty solid but Ultimately, this defense, I think, is one that's going to have its issues throughout the entire year. And the offense doesn't seem to be overwhelmingly talented to really dominate, especially when they're going against the tough slates like a Pittsburgh defense, a Baltimore defense, a Cleveland defense, even now that they've improved. And I think really the Bengals are still going to be stuck in that fourth place. It's going to take a lot to really push them up in the division and become that number one team. And All right. I, don't I think mean, it happens while Zach Taylor's in there. Yeah, well, Taylor's on the hot seat, that's for sure. But the good thing that the Bengals have going for them is they actually do have a pretty favorable schedule to start. They start the Vikings, then they take on the Bears. Uh, they got the Steelers. So, again, division games can go either way. They got the Jaguars. We'll see what happens there. Uh, the Packers, and then they play the Lions. So, there are games there in that first stretch of six that they can win. If they're, you know, three and three after six games, uh, that's tremendous for them, considering they only won four games last year. And that would mean that Burrow is playing very well. Absolutely. And I, I guess I misspoke earlier. They're playing the NFC North, not the NFC West. So that makes it a little easier for AFC North teams on their schedule. But still, ultimately, plenty of talent that they will be going against. The Bengals, you know, that first game against Pittsburgh, especially after beating them late in last year, if they can get a win there, then we could see some possible momentum for this team. You assume that they'll be able to pull a victory against Jacksonville maybe, but it really just comes down to how the cards kind of shake out. But there's a chance we could be looking at a team that's 3-1 and one because while the Vikings, I think, are very talented, they aren't unbeatable. The Steelers aren't unbeatable. The Bears aren't unbeatable. So there's games that if the Bengals really come out hot, they could take out some great teams in the process and really win some big games. Yeah. Like we said, offensively, the talent's there. Uh, it's just a matter of can the offensive line give it enough time to let plays develop. So if you are a Bengals fan, you know, let's say that you're having high hopes for the season. What's the expectation for Burrow in year two? Are you looking to see him become a better deep ball passer, put up some, better production what what's the expectation in your mind to really be sold on what joe burrow can do yeah i mean the expectation should be really low and the expectation should be let him play 17 weeks uh because you have to worry i mean it's coming off a really bad injury uh there really wasn't much you could say that you saw that was bad for him last year i mean he was uh he was a rock and rookie of the week a few times he was he was balling out uh i think you know, you want to just see him and Chase rekindle their chemistry, and you want to see them hook up on the deep balls. Uh, and maybe you want to just see Burrow figure out what way to, to get rid of the ball quicker. Uh, I think that that's something I'd be looking to see. 
uh, and that way that would ensure his health. Absolutely. If if they can keep Joe Burrow healthy for 17 games, that's a huge W in in my book, at least. And I know that Bengal fans are having high expectations and I don't blame them. I think there's plenty of opportunity for that. But the biggest thing is trying to keep your stars healthy, take those next steps. And really, you know, year three of Burrow, I think, is when you're starting to look at a team that could potentially make playoffs. I think the Steelers probably going to have some drop off. Big Ben probably retires after this year. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the Ravens and Browns, but the Bengals could definitely continue to build this roster to be in competition with them. So if you're a Bengals fan, you know, me and Nick aren't aren't advising you to have high hopes this year, but high hopes for the future, for sure. Yep, the future. You have the future of your franchise, so you just got to hope you can stay on the field. And one team that was kind of hearing that every year now is finally competitive. The Cleveland Browns, a wonderful season last year. One of the best running back rooms in the NFL, probably number one. Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Baker Mayfield kind of shook off his sophomore slump. The wide receiver room, very talented. The offensive line, completely invested in. There's just so much to love about Cleveland. And really the issues last year was the defensive issues. And they obviously went and addressed that with acquisitions with Greg Newsom, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, adding pieces like Jadavian Clowney to the defensive line. And getting John Johnson for the secondary, do you think that the Browns have invested enough in their defense to now not just be a team that is a playoff team, but also a legit contender? It's tricky to say, uh, but you know, Stefanski he got the full team rolling last year. People say he's the offensive guy. He he put it together. It did a great job. Uh, you know, I think they're going to miss uh, Olivier Vernon. Uh, he was he was one of their leaders last year in sacks. But when you have Miles Garrett up front, you're in good shape because he is a monster. He'll be getting to the, the quarterback. So I like what the what the Browns did, which is basically bring everybody back for the most part, make a few tweaks here and there. Uh, I think they're going to be very good this season. I agree absolutely, and I think the big question mark that people want to see is. Really, can Odell and Jarvis take that next step of contributing in major ways to really make this offense not just very serviceable and and consistent, but also dominant? And I think it's certainly possible. I think getting healthy, getting everything right, Baker Mayfield, obviously another year, could be huge for both the receiver room and Baker himself in that Browns offense. Personally, for me, I think the Browns are the team to beat in the AFC North this year. I think the Steelers are going to have a little bit of drop back. I think the Ravens still have some question marks for me, but the Browns, while the defense is still going to be a question mark, I think they've added the pieces necessary to really take them to that next level. I don't know if they're contender yet. I still think that they're going to have some issues with some of the top teams in the AFC that could hold them back. But with, you know, some, some great play over the course of the season, my mind could easily be changed. A lot of teams obviously have that idea of we need to beat Mahomes. And if they are having Miles Garrett chasing Mahomes around in that backfield, then it's not going to be easy for the Chiefs. And having John Johnson in that secondary to help limit the deep passing, I think, is absolutely huge. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think, I think the Browns are the team to beat in the in the division as well. I think there's going to be a legit fight between them and the Bills to to get that two seed. Uh, and that's important because you have to play the Chiefs till the championship game, assuming the Chiefs are, you know, firing all cinder- cylinders. But 
hopefully uh, Odell Beckham Jr. could stay healthy this year because there were some games last year, you know, specifically that game in Dallas where he was electric. He threw a touchdown. He caught two touchdown passes. And you know, people for, have been forgetting for some reason like just how much of a game-breaker, game-changer this guy's been. And the fact that the, the Browns are, you know, everyone's like, oh, they got Landry, they got it back on their passing team. No, they're run first. Uh, they can run the ball so well that it sets up Beckham uh, Jr. and Jarvis Landry for such success because uh, nobody in the league does it better than those two guys when it comes to you know doing a quick slant across the field for like 15 yards and turning it into 60-yard touchdowns. So Baker Mayfield, he's got a lot of weapons to play with there. He just has to you know limit his turnovers, play smart, try not to force the ball. And the Browns have no issue at all. And I, I got to give most of the credit to Stefanski, who was absolutely incredible uh, last year as, as a head coach. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people were excited when he got hired because it was going to become that Minnesota offense. And I think we saw that really kind of in full force. What happens when you give the ball to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, both proving to be great fits in that system. And the offense overall just got things going in that defense. Now is the big question mark. I still think there's some issues on the defensive line. That three tech spot still has some question marks surrounding it, but adding the pieces that they did, I think is a huge step forward. I think there's still some question marks about the linebacker room with Anthony Walker and Sion Takitaki. Maybe, you know, there could be some issues in that regard. But ultimately, there's a lot of defenses that kind of don't depend on linebacker, and they're one of those defenses. So we'll see what happens. But personally, the Browns have taken huge steps. They've done a great job of addressing the needs on their position. They've added some great talent. Like John Johnson, the third, I think, was someone that people weren't really projecting for them because they had some solid pieces, but they went and got better at the position. And it was on a great deal. So absolutely a tremendous offseason for the Browns. And what they can do with, you know, another year of development for Mayfield and some added talent to this defense is sky high. And Stefanski is going to very well lead them to that in my mind. Yep, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, he unfortunately had to miss that one playoff game, the first playoff game last year due to COVID, but they won. It wasn't a problem. Uh, and I think Brown, Browns fans are very excited about this upcoming season. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people want to say that they almost beat the Chiefs last year because Chad Henney had to come in, whatever. But really, I think this year it's a realistic case that they could come very close to the Chiefs if things go correctly for them. So, you know, a lot of a lot of optimism in Cleveland, probably for the first time in quite some time, but I think it's well warranted. And looking at the last team in the AFC North, the Pittsburgh Steelers, that's the team that really has the biggest question marks in my mind. You look at the depth chart form and the offensive line stands out immediately. Okorafor and Banner at the tackle spots, really kind of unknown at this point. DeCastro, obviously a solid starter, but the other interior line positions, Kevin Dotson and Kendrick Green, the rookie in this year's draft, it's tough to really sell me on the Steelers. And I know that Ben Roethlisberger, Chase Claypool, Juju, Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris in that backfield, there's going to be some production, but offensive line plays a huge part in production, and their offensive line is a big question mark right now. Nick, what do you expect out of the Steelers' offense this year? And do you think the inter- uh, the offensive line is something of concern in your mind as well?
Yeah, I mean, Pouncey's gone, Villanueva's gone, so they don't really replace them. Uh, I think the offense should be pretty problematic this season. Uh, ben still could do what he does, but he's another year older. Uh, if he's injured, which happens every other season, they're done. And, you know, Claypool's going to be great again, but now there's tape on him, so maybe he'll take a little step back. And I think it's very telling that nobody wanted Juju Smith-Schuster, and he settles for this you know cheap one-year deal to come back. So many people are going to say, oh, he's motivated, hell, a big season. I actually think it's going to be fairly bit of the opposite, where he's like, it's going to get to him, and it's going to be hurting him, because he's going to be thinking about, I need to play super well to get a contract. But Claypool's better, so who's betting going to throw the ball to more? Claypool. And that could cause a lot of this, this tension in the locker room, a lot of friction. And if Juju Smith is too busy dancing before the games again, that can lead to even more issues, which won't make Mike Tomlin very happy. So uh, the offense, I think, is not what it was the first half of last season. And I I don't know how much Harris is going to be able to do with that offensive line. But as you point out in the show, Tomlin always wants to run the ball and he wants to go back to the way he was doing it when he had Le'Veon Bell. Absolutely. I expect big things out of Najee Harris but I still have worries about the overall protection that he'll get. So maybe a slower start for Najee than people expect in terms of production. But I think Najee Harris will still have a great career in Pittsburgh. On the defensive side of things, the secondary is what kind of stands out to me. Obviously, that front seven is going to produce with some great pieces. TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith coming on as a great mid-round pick for the Steelers. But the secondary, Joe Hayden, you know, a little bit older now, could have some issues in terms of regression. Justin Lane is started is slated to be the starting outside corner there as well. And I think, you know, he's kind of unknown at this point. Cam Sutton, obviously a very talented slot corner. But if that uh, outside corner room starts to regress in terms of what Hayden can do and Lane isn't able to step in and be a consistent starter, then there's going to be big question marks and big issues in terms of what they allow in the deep passing game. The Steelers obviously – aren't going to have the easiest of schedules coming off of what is a great season in terms of just, you know, making the playoffs, getting some big wins, but now they have a schedule that matches it. So Buffalo in week one, I think is going to be a very telling game. And if they aren't competitive in that ball game, then there's some very big issues in their upcoming schedule and overall season for the Steelers. I mean, (laughs) you, you want to talk about a, a rough start to the season. You're playing the Bills in Buffalo, where there's going to be probably max capacity. And these Bills Mafia are already jazzed up after going to the playoffs to have a run to the AFC Championship last game. It's going to be loud. Uh, there's going to be some nerves for Harris. <laughs> That's not a great – it's not a great start for week one. Uh, and there's going to probably be a lot of overreaction after week one. When the Bills win or if the Bills win, oh, is Ben done? You know, can Juju Smith-Schuster fall together? That's going to be a reaction. Uh, you know, week two, they got the Raiders. Raiders are a team that I think is going to be around 500 most of the season. So they're not going to be an easy beat. We mentioned they got the Bengals then already, uh, then the Packers. So, you know, I could see them being two and two, uh, maybe one and three at the end of uh, the first four weeks of the season. Yeah, and I think one of the strong points for the Steelers is that Big Ben has always been a guy that's been able to bounce back well from bad performances. So if he 
maybe starts out slow against Buffalo, he could still have a good week that next week or be able to, you know, maybe start out rocky in that first four weeks and then still turn it around. So having a veteran leader at that QB position is certainly, you know, encouraging. And it's going to instill confidence in that fan base that, you know, they're going to be okay. But really, ultimately, I look at the Steelers team and I kind of question if they are going to be the team that started out the season where they were winning games, started out undefeated, looked like one of the best teams in the NFL, or are they going to be that team that we saw in the back half of the season where all confidence was lost? They weren't able to compete in games, and they just got you know, outed by so many teams, even teams that were well below their current play style mm-hmm. and strength. So there's big question marks for Pittsburgh. I understand whether you're confident in them or – you know, worried about them because there's just so many question marks in my mind about what they will do in this upcoming season. Absolutely. They're, they're a team that regardless of what happens, will always be talked about. And, you know, maybe if they have a bad season, they might be looking to draft a quarterback on top of the first round because uh, it's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, if, you know, not when here or what, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, with Roethlisberger's probably got maybe two years left. Uh, so they got to see if they put some sort of plan into action here because should be some decent quarterbacks next year. And, uh, you know, it's looking like there aren't going to be that many teams that need a quarterback, but that changes every single year. Yeah. And there's rumors that Ben was considering retiring just last year. So we could see this be the final year that big Ben is a stealer. And if that's the case, they will definitely need to be addressing the quarterback position. They have Dwayne Haskins and Mason Rudolph on roster, but I think most people would kind of say that that's not a solved QB room. You know, if Haskins is able to turn it around, really focus in on his career, then there could be some success there. Rudolph, I feel like is kind of already well known for what he's going to be in the NFL. So really, I look at the draft and I think there's pieces that fit what they would want, but where they're going to be drafting is going to kind of play into that. So, you know, there's potential there, but also the Steelers are going to be an interesting team in terms of what they do in the future, because they could be very competitive this year, even a seven and 10 team and probably be sitting too far out to really get a playoff. That's of, or a QB that's of caliber to really help them get to the championship. So we'll see what happens as the season goes on. And hopefully, you know, with Big Ben ending his career, there's some success for the Steelers and the overall roster that's there. Obviously, there's plenty of talent to do it, but I don't know. I think me and Nick alike are just kind of worried and concerned about the overall outlook for the Steelers. And, you know, Mike Tomlin's one of the better coaches in the game in, I think, both our opinions as well. The guy's never been under 500. Even two years ago, by Ben's dad, he's got uh, Hodges and Rudolph, and they go 8-8. Yeah, so that's why there's reason to still think that the Steelers can very much compete and get into playoffs. But, you know, this this could be the end of a Steelers era that kind of got shortened because of injuries throughout its reign. But there is definitely some question marks on this final year. And if Big Ben is done after this year, then we don't know how long that'll last. And hopefully, you know, Tomlin's able to find a new team or something so he can just find success elsewhere because I don't trust the Steelers to turn mm. it around very quickly. Well, I think we're in agreement here. Uh, at least it sounds like we both, we both have the Browns winning the division. Ravens in second place, Steelers third, Bengals fourth. 
Yeah, that's, that's on the exactly how I'm how I'm looking at it right now. And you know, things can change in an instant. Some team can get hot, some team can get cold, and things just go south or north from there. But ultimately, yeah, I think the Browns run away with it. The Ravens come in second, and Steelers come in third. Bengals come in fourth. Zach Taylor no longer the head coach after the season. Big Ben retires. And then, you know, we'll see what happens to the Ravens and Browns in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, the Steelers take a step back, but I think they will be in play for the seventh seed to make the playoffs. I think it'll be a, a tight race between them, uh, Dolphins, Patriots, Raiders, Chargers. Um, and, you know, I think that's going to be fun to watch. I think it's going to be interesting. We have a lot of the, a lot of teams in the mix this year for, for that, last wild, that last wild card spot. Absolutely, and we'll be discussing them all here on Destination Draft Day. Nick Durst, Michael Rockman, that's all we got for you today, and a little bit early today compared to usual. But mm, we'll summer Fridays, got a good start to the weekend. <laughs> everyone, have a good weekend. We appreciate everyone for watching, and we appreciate LandryFootball.com for the platform. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you on Monday.